0: This is episode 98 of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is Secret Base video producer Seth Rosenthal. Seth has been known for making many videos across several different series about the quirks and oddities of sports within the YouTube channel Secret Base for Espionation. Seth and I talk about some of his favorite videos that he's made and about life as a New York Knicks fan. So sit back and enjoy today's episode, but first, a word from our sponsor. If you're like most people, you strive to eat healthy as much as you can, but it gets really difficult when life gets in the way. We get busy, we're running around doing lots of things. It's hard. Being able to eat healthy on the go is super important more than ever now. And that's why I'm here to tell you about G2G protein bars. They're the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It's made with all natural ingredients. They're fresh. It tastes like homemade, but it's even better. G2G bars have 18 grams of protein and are gluten free with eight different flavors. There's so many different things that you can enjoy about the great tastes of G2G Bars and what they have to offer. They're fresh, healthy, and delicious. Make sure to get yours at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer in Canada or the US. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today, we have an amazing guest from SB Nation's secret base, video producer, Seth Rosenthal. Seth, it's a great pleasure and an honor to have you on after being very familiar with your work. And as many of my listeners love diving deep into the nitty gritty oddities of sports, it's finally great to sit down and be able to have a chat with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: You've been with Secret Base, or I guess SB Nation, as it was known before that avenue of videos, for quite some time. And from our previous conversation, I'm not sure if you ever could have envisioned having gone down this path from when you graduated from university and now here you are making videos about some of the craziest, weirdest, but also some of the most significant moments in sports history. What has been the general consensus in your mind on this journey to creating videos, producing, collabing and doing a lot of research on sports that might not have been thought possible before.
1: You are correct that I never saw this coming. I the only reason I have the job I have now is that I when I was in high school, when I was in college, I did a blog about the Knicks just on my own time and that sort of grew and grew until I was spending a lot of my time doing that and espionation became a thing. And um yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm one of the few very fortunate people for whom a hobby has become or at least led to a job. Um and I was doing a whole lot of other stuff at Espionation before I ever got this opportunity. Um, some of it not particularly rewarding, some of it not, you know, uh providing as as um you know, as fun and creative outlet as I have now. So it's, I've, it, it took a long time, but I am very fortunate and very happy to be, like you said, doing research. That's a lot of fun, you know, helping people understand what's great about sports um, and, you know, sharing the things I love uh, about basketball in particular with anyone who wants to watch.
0: In particular, one of the most iconic series that secret base now has is the video that uh, video series you appear in often in rewinder. I think that that is, it's a brilliant idea. It covers a lot of good games, but I guess that the other side of the double-edged sword is that there's so many games and so many moments that it's hard to like fit them all in do research. I mean, it takes a long time to make a video that's that detailed, especially when it comes to editing holy for anyone who's edited for one day, you'll know how long that's it cool. takes to make those videos. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a. I mean, I I certainly can't take any credit for the editing. I'm lucky to work with uh, editors, motion graphics artists, directors who make that stuff great. It's a it's a small crew. It's usually me and one or two other people. Um, but yeah, there you know one of the nice things about Rewinder that you identified is that there's kind of an endless font of material there um, in any you know, in any subject where there's this like r- one really iconic moment, like a big shot or a big defensive stop or a big field goal or a big, you know, game inning touchdown or a walk-off home run, really any, it doesn't have to be at the end of the game, any big moment where, you know, the outcome, the thing that happened has the potential to get sort of tokenized and overshadow all of the context, all of the storylines. Um, anytime there's a subject like that, we take that opportunity to sort of put people in the moment. Like, okay, if you had just walked in the room when this big shot, when this big moment was about to happen, what would you need to know to understand it? If someone was like, wait, hold on, before we watch this, I need you to know that like these guys are rivals and this guy has been, you know, had missed his last 10 shots and, you know, whatever. She almost went to this school, but any of that context that would, that you would know if you were watching that moment when it happened and reacting to it live, we want to sort of recreate that experience for people. And there are endless possibilities there. And so it's sort of a, it's, it's a series that keeps on giving for us. And I, you know, I, I can't see us ever stopping that particular series.
0: Since you're a big person or a person who's big in a basketball, there have been a ton of basketball ones from Kawhi shot to, you know, Kobe buzzer beater, what have been some of the ones that stick out to you the most that you really, really, really enjoyed making? Cause there's obviously a lot. I mean, you enjoy making probably all of them, but like what are some of the ones that really stick out to mind or that you were really excited to really, to finally dive into?
1: Yeah. I think sometimes it's, you know, I'm, I read a lot about stuff where I didn't really remember much of the history going back to it. And then other times where I feel like I could have written it from memory if I really needed to, but for those second ones, I often find stuff. I, I often don't know it as well as I thought I did, which is a long preamble to base to say that um, we did one about Allen Houston hitting the series-winning shot against the the Heat in '99. That must have been yeah. Um, so you know, for Knicks eight seed upsetting the Heat in the first round on a game-winning shot in Miami, and that's one of the most important, most exciting moments of my entire life as a fan. I'm a very big Knicks fan. And that was one where I went in, like, I, you know, I know all of this. And there was so much context, so much to understand about where the Knicks were at that point that I didn't remember. And it was so much fun to, like, go back and read the same articles I was reading, you know, when I was 10 years old um, to sort of recreate not just how a person might have felt watching that moment, like I was describing, but how I felt at the time um, was a lot of fun. I would say that and, like, you know, it's a pretty unusual one, but we did one about um, the game-winning shot in Space Jam. You know, Michael Jordan's arm stretching all the way across the court to dunk at the buzzer. And I tried to play it as straight as I could and weave real life with fiction. And I had a lot of fun making that one. That was one of my favorites that, that definitely stands out.
0: The 99 Knicks have to be one of the strangest teams to run to the finals in NBA history, just for the fact that there was the lockout, that they were an 8 seed. I think they were the first 8 eight-seed team. I think they're the only 8 seed team ever, actually, to make the finals. And again, they came against the Spurs. The Spurs were amazing. If you haven't seen the video, please go watch the rewinder and Allen Houston's shot. It's incredible. It's pure theater. It's just so entertaining to watch. I'm not a person that's ever been, you know, against the Knicks really. I mean, growing up as a Raptors fan, like, yeah, the Knicks are in the same division, but like, it wasn't really, like the Knicks are usually a way better team. And because they have such a deep history in the NBA, I find that sometimes they get overlooked with like, some of the teams they had that were incredible. Like the Knicks have struggled recently and now they're back, but that 99 Knicks team was really something else.
1: It was a lot of fun. And again, like something that I was reminded of in digging into that research is there were, they were one of the, it was a short season because of the lockout, like you said, and they were one of those teams that was way better than their record. They just, they had just acquired new people. They didn't really get a proper training camp. Uh, with like Marcus Camby on board, the 12 spree while working his way in. And yeah, they had this really fun team that because the season was short, because they started so abruptly, this team was hitting its stride, like right as the playoffs were beginning. So they didn't have a very good record. They barely snuck into the playoffs, but they were really good, really good and not anywhere as near as good as the Spurs. And it took, you know, a, a big shot here, another big shot in the Pacers series. It took, these crazy strokes of luck uh, and, you know, clutch shooting to make it as far as they did. But um, even as a kid, I could appreciate. like when they went down to the Spurs, it was like, yeah, that, that hurt losing the finals hurts. But that run was, you couldn't take anything away from that. It was incredible.
0: I know that Knicks fans now have been known to be some of the rowdiest in the NBA and they, they have some interesting personalities. What's your experience been like as a Knicks fan and how do you, uh, I guess, compare the media view and contrast it with what it's like in real life in terms of going to games or seeing people on those, on those, I, I don't know what the proper name is, but everyone has seen the sound on TikTok and the Joe Byron and the, yeah, yeah. Uh, side talk. The, yeah. Side talk. Yeah. Like side talk. NYC, like what, is that like a microcosm for the culture of like New York sports in general? Or is that just like New York as a city and the team just happens to be there and they roll with the roll with the wave of, uh, of quirkiness that the city Im- Im- embodies. I, I mean, I could not
1: possibly, I don't have the authority to claim what the, what New York City is really like or what the fan base is really like. I think every fan base contains that segment of people to some extent. Um, New York, you know, it's a bigger city with more people packed more densely than other places. And we tend to get more attention if the team is doing anything good or bad. Um But yeah, there is, you know, that those videos you're describing with the, you know, the bing bong and all that are inflected in a particularly New Yorkie way that sort of (laughs) spans uh, class and race and culture in a way that's, I I find kind of heartwarming. I have often said that um, every city on earth has its version of obnoxious asshole, but I'm, I'm from the New York area, so that's my kind of obnoxious asshole. Um, but I don't think uh, that I particularly fit the bill, and that I am uh, not at a lot of games. tend to me tend to run more just like morose and depressive than I do uh, <laughs> excitable like that. Um, but I, you know, I definitely uttered a few Bing Bongs uh, when things were going well at the beginning of the season. Um, but you, you know, you, you got to just kind of. Whatever fandom you have embrace the like worst and worst most grading parts of it and just kind of have fun with it and not take it that seriously. that's as I've gotten older, I've learned to just kind of take this all less seriously. It's better for my health
0: of course when when you cheer for teams that aren't perennial winners like and if you follow it seriously, you can't take their losing seriously for someone like myself who grew up my entire life cheering for teams that have been Shit on and have done poorly, i.e. the Jacksonville Jaguars, Toronto Raptors. You know, Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the CFL. My entire life were terrible until that now. Was. Yes, the Jacksonville. That's an Jaguars. own goal, man. That's not. A... <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I get people, a lot of people saying to me, "What? Why do you cheer for that team? You must be the only person I've ever met. Cheers just the Jaguars in New York. I guarantee that you've probably never met a person cheers for the Jaguars. Maybe one actually.
1: I've I've worked with one, and he's not. He's from Florida. That's the only reason uh but yeah you don't mean a lot of jacks fans
0: like ever like unless like unless you go to london and people just can buy it at the at the nfl uk shop or something like that yeah I don't know. yeah yeah i mean it's 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 unique you know i kind of fell into it like the kid that chooses the team when you play the video game that's good in the video game and then you go to real life and not, oh like this video games from 20 years ago. was games from 2007, like the one year in between that they were amazing, and now here you are. You've grown into it. But, uh, I mean, it's – I think the culture of the fan base is something that is really heartwarming because they have to be the most loyal fan base, basically, out of any team in the NFL and almost, you could argue, any team in North American pro sports because they like they're hanging on by a thread. Like, there's teams like, for example, like the Miami Marlins – or Arizona Diamondbacks, like maybe those are obscure, but they're in major cities where it's hard to veer away from them having a team because of the money. But like Jacksonville, it's like, maybe it's big geographically, but like how many of the pro teams have ever gone to Jacksonville before or ever will go to Jacksonville after? Maybe a baseball team because the, the culture there for baseball has gone nuts. But outside of that, like, it's a tough sell. So like, you have to be super loyal and you have to be, like really into it in order for the team to even exist. Otherwise like they will sell their asses so fast as I'm funny.
1: It is true. I just, I, I respect your, the capacity you have. Cause like for me, so I, you know, the first thing I was, was a Knicks fan. I've been a really diehard Knicks fan of my entire life. I watch all the games. I know what's going on. I, it's really a year round thing for me as you might suspect. And I am also, you know, I I watch Yankees games. I care about the Yankees. I watch Liberty games, but it's not nearly on the same level. When I was a kid, for reasons similar to what you're describing, I started to get into fantasy football. And, like, the Raiders were pretty good at the time with, like, Rich Gannon and, you know, Jerry Rice and Tim Brown, all these old guys. And so I just started to get into the Raiders. And for a little bit as a child, I really loved the Oakland Raiders as much as I loved the Knicks. And then they lost the Super Bowl in, what was that, 02, the, the, where they got blown out by the Bucks. And I, I sort of had this moment where I was like, I don't have the emotional capacity to care this much about, cause, especially because that was around the time the Knicks were starting to get bad. I don't have the emotional capacity to care about more than one team this much. And I just stopped following football like that day.
0: Oh, wow. So you're not, you don't. You don't uh, gather around screaming outside of MetLife Stadium for you know, the Jets or the Giants or anything?
1: <laughs> Can't say I do. Nope. Don't have a football team. Don't really watch football at all at this
0: point. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, that's... But hey, every person from SB Nation has their niche, has their quirk. Like, you know, do you do you follow baseball then or like so-so?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't follow baseball the sport that closely, but I watch a lot of Yankees games. Just oh, okay, I, okay, okay. I, it's like nice to have on in the background and I, and I, you know, pay attention to what's going on with the Yankees, but um, certainly less of a baseball person than uh, several of my coworkers.
0: So then would the Allen Houston shot, would that be like close to the peak of any Knicks basketball I've seen in your life?
1: Close to, I might,
0: in, in terms of
1: actual emotions involved, you know, sort of divorcing it from what the actual stakes were. I think that Linsanity and just that month of basketball might have been emotion, more emotionally fulfilling. And honestly, the, the 2021 Knicks season and Julius Randle winning Most Improved Player and that, you know, happening when we were all locked down at home, I think those meant more to me. Um, and maybe because they're recent and I was an adult, but in terms of like stuff that actually mattered, uh, you know vis-a-vis the Knicks winning stuff and the Knicks being actually good and making it all the way to the playoffs or making it deep into the playoffs that that Allen Houston shot and the Larry Johnson four-point play that followed against the, the Pacers yeah those are those are the moments for me there haven't been there hasn't been anything really in the running since then where it actually like had playoff ramifications
0: because I was gonna say like I don't the Knicks haven't been in the conference finals since 99 have they not even close, no. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, was it uh, the, the Reggie Miller, like, Reggie Miller, like, steal three, steal three? That was, that was against the Knicks in, like, the early 90s, I think, right?
1: Yes, that was beforehand. That's a little, I was pretty young for that. That doesn't really have as salient a, a hold on my memory as uh, late 90s stuff does. But Reggie Miller killed the Knicks a few times.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like when you watch those things after the fact or when it happened before when you were a young kid or too young to remember, it's like, well this has already happened and people have already exhausted this. So I can't really sit there and, and emotionally mourn this moment if it already has passed, especially if you didn't even live through it.
1: Yeah, I am. I'm glad that I'm of the age where like the 94 and 95 Knicks, who, you know, one of those teams should have won a championship, but neither did. I'm glad that I don't remember those that well. That would have been <laughs> tough to live with.
0: Like st- you start your, your life as a fan, Oh, we almost got there. And then just everything goes downhill after that. (laughs) It is, it
1: is a pretty weird, you know, I'm, I'm 32, almost 33. So I was getting into sports when the Knicks were just always good and always competing. And they didn't win a title when I was a kid, but like, it was always a possibility. And yeah, my entire adulthood, they've been mostly garbage. I just, I set myself up for a whole lot of pain.
0: I gotta ask, what kind of shows are you are you into that because you grew up in a generation, or I mean, relatively similar generation to me, but like, what TV shows did you grow up watching as a kid, or or that you still are really fond of now? I I, I mean, I like kid stuff. I mean, or it could be like. You know, you could say like, "Oh, I grew up like whatever. I watched The Sopranos when I was like a teen, or I watched SpongeBob as a kid, or it still means something to me." Like, I don't. It doesn't have to be kids; it can be anything. But
1: yeah, it's funny. I didn't grow up in like I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV. It was a battle. De- I like I listened to Knicks games on the radio a lot when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up watching Nickelodeon and like The Rugrats and Doug and Hey Arnold and all that and Kim and Kel. Uh, As a teenager, I never watched The Sopranos, but I was really into like Arrested Development and Wire. Um, I don't know. I feel like uh, the ability to watch TV when it's not live, when it's not on has (laughs) only really happened as I've reached adulthood um, or at least in my teenage years. But yeah, the, The Wire was definitely my favorite show. Like by the time I got to college, um but I yeah I, I don't think I really got into watching tv the way people do now until recently
0: I guess so I like 10, sports 10 too like because I feel like I I only I only watch tv if it's a show that like I watched Arrested Development after the fact like when I was in grade 11 I mean if I'm turning 26 like Arrested Development I've already been off tv for like seven or eight years right. or like Trailer Park Boys I watched after the fact because it's popular in Canada but or maybe, maybe South Park. That's like the only show I've ever watched that was like recent and still is going, but I feel like sports just takes up a majority of the time when it comes to watching things.
1: Yeah. I could usually get away with watching the Knicks if I'd done my homework on a weeknight, but yeah, I just, uh, I did not have a a TV permissive set of parents until like I would get to school on a weekday or on a Monday, and everyone had watched The Simpsons. Everyone had watched South Park. Everyone had watched Family Guy, and I was not usually caught up on that stuff. But I could told you, you know, that like fucking Lee Nalon set a career high in points the prior night in a loss to the Hornets or whatever. I was watching all sorts of useless garbage uh, in the form of the Knicks losing. <laughs>
0: It's it, it's really interesting because growing up as a kid, I remember when I first learned about basketball, maybe like six or seven years old, I was like, wow, like New York, they must be a really good team. Because I, I mean, you're old enough to remember Sega Dreamcast, still have one kicking around playing NBA 2K, not 2K20 or 19, like the original NBA mm-hmm. 2K1 and 2 with Allen Iverson on the cover and like Allen Houston was on the Knicks and they were a really good team. And it just, and my perception in youth was that the Knicks were great, but obviously things have changed a lot since, but I, I mean, it's obviously sports. Like it doesn't, you know, the Knicks don't put a roof over your head. So you don't have to be too emotionally invested to that point, but you at least get to dive into it with the stuff you do with SB Nation and Seeker Base. So that's probably an enjoyable consolation prize despite the next failure.
1: Yes. Agreed across the board. I, I do not take for granted uh, the opportunity I have. And and as someone who has worked sports jobs where I did have to write about the Knicks or I, you know, I really had to stay on top of sports. And if I'm watching a game, I was working. Uh, you know, the job I do now, I'm not reporting. I'm not uh, recapping anything. I'm writing about history. And it has been in the last few years, uh, a relief to turn on a game at night and just relax if it's the Knicks and they're down by 30 in the fourth quarter, I can turn it off. And if it's, you know, a playoff game, I don't have to be taking notes or thinking about what I'm going to write or, you know, forming opinions. I can just sit there and watch and enjoy it. And it feels good. You know, it feels good to have a job in sports. It feels just as good to be able to be a fan. I'm very fortunate in
0: that regard. Cause one thing I've learned from instructors in my sports journalism program, or even people who work in the industry, like, their fandom has to take a back seat to doing their job. So for people in Canada, I know people that were working at 2010 Vancouver, like when Crosby scored the golden goal, like imagine having to sit there and be like, okay, what's well, the time of the goal? What are we going to write about? Yeah. And like, you're trying to, people want to soak in that moment, like a once in a lifetime to quote Chris Cuthbert. But could you imagine like, covering the Knicks and you're at the finals and boom, like whatever. Randall hits a shot to win game seven, like Kawhi, like you throw the pen in the air and say, you know, fuck the job, man. Like (laughs) I've been waiting my whole fucking life for this.
1: Yes. I, I've, I've had to write about the Knicks plenty. I've never had to write about them objectively, you know, where I didn't, I had to pretend I didn't care what was happening, but I, I cannot even imagine that. Um, yeah, not, not not for me. I, I'm just too
0: invested. <laughs> Some of the other videos that I think are very interesting relate to like the weird rules. Which one of those did you think really caught you off guard the first time that that you were doing the research for the video? Because I remember the one that sticks out to me was about when I think it was St. No, not St. Vincent, but Bahamas versus somebody in soccer and they had to like, one team scored an own goal. If they scored an own goal, it helped them when in away goals or something crazy like that. But what are some yeah. of the ones like is maybe that one sticks out to you? What are the ones that stick out?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it was Grenada, was that one? That one's complicated where, like, yeah, the team was intentionally trying to score or let the other team. I wasn't part of that one, so I don't remember it quite as well. But um, I've had fun, you know, that series has been an entry point for me sometimes into sports I don't know as well, like hockey. Like, I remember doing one. Um, with a legendary coach whose name I'm not going to remember who was just very into, like, bending the rules of the game. Like, a lot of the rules in the NHL and in across hockey exist because he found loopholes. Um, So, like, he was the dude who would instruct his goalkeeper to, like, form a little mound of snow in front of the goal until the NHL was like, no, obviously you can't do it. We didn't say that, but you shouldn't do that. We're making a rule now um and in general that series is fun because um it's sports are taking chaos and ascribing rules to them and a lot of that is making it up on the fly you know you don't when you create a sport you don't necessarily know what's possible you know when they invented basketball and put the rim 10 feet above the ground i don't think they were necessarily imagining like oh, there's going to be a kind of guy that can just jump up and slam the ball right through the basket. And so people every decade have to be like, oh man, we didn't think of this. How are we going to legislate this? And you have to sort of work backward as people, you know, explore the game and find loopholes and find new things and advance in their physical abilities. You have to go back and uh, remake the game to accommodate that and make sure it's still fun and fair and entertaining. And I, you know, that series is sort it tends to be pretty casual. Uh, it's a little easier to shoot, but like, I learn a lot from doing it. And it makes you think about sports um, sort of sideways in a way that I think helps me uh, appreciate and understand, you know, when I'm just watching a game.
0: Is hockey something that you find is very, very unpopular where you're from, or it's, it's pretty decently popular, maybe not compared to like basketball or the or football or baseball or anything?
1: I mean, I, you know, I, I know hockey fans. I grew up with hockey fans. I grew up in Jersey. So like, and the devils were very good um, for a lot of the years. And so, yeah, I grew up among a bunch of devils fans. I can think of friends of mine now who are Rangers fans, but, um, and I I certainly work with hockey fans, but no, I, I mean, in regular life, I am not coming across a lot of hockey fans, certainly nowhere near the number of, Baseball or basketball or uh, NFL fans, you know, I meet regularly. It's, it's just not as big here, and you know, part of that's being in in New York, um, where there's just so much to choose from if you want to follow pro sports. And you know, I guess part of that's just being American, but um, yeah, it's it's you know, I got nothing against hockey; it's just never been my sport. Never played it. Didn't watch it much growing up, um, but. It's fun. And I, you know, I know people who are into it, it's just, just not as many as the others.
0: For someone like myself who grew up in Winnipeg, that's you know, probably the most popular sport. But I, I mean, my parents are immigrants, so I didn't grow up loving hockey. I can't even skate well enough to play hockey. So it's not something that I really loved growing up. I definitely have an appreciation for it. But I find it interesting how in some places in the US, like hockey is almost number one. But in other places like New York, the Rangers have been good and the Islanders have been pretty good. I mean, the Islanders, are the only team, I think one of the last, the last team in NHL history to win more than three in a row, which is crazy to think about, but Hey, it, t- it took place right before the Gretzky Oilers era. So pretty well forgotten unless you are an Islanders fan or a hockey historian.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I, uh, so I lived in Brooklyn for eight or nine years. Uh, and the Islanders were playing at Barclays center for a few years and it was really cheap. So I, I, I think I only went once, but I went to an Islanders game and I was sitting there up in the bleachers looking at the rafters and I don't know what the years are, but it was like Islanders, Stanley cup, Islanders, Stanley cup. I was like, that was when I learned that Oh shit, the Islanders were really good. Has anyone ever done that?
0: 77, 78, 89, uh, and, uh, sorry, 77, 78, 79, 80. Was the yeah, but I got
1: to be the first person at a hockey game to learn hockey history from actually looking at it. Like when someone hung them up, they were like, you know, this will this'll catch people up to what, what the good times were. And I was, I was that guy that actually like found out about hockey from looking at a physical banner in a physical arena.
0: I think the same could be said for anyone who's maybe never watched basketball. If you go to a Celtics game or even with the Toronto Maple Leafs, there's a lot of people that have retired numbers. I mean, I've never been to a Leafs game because it's basically like trying to go to – Actually, I don't know. I don't know if there's a New York comparison because some New York sports don't even seem that expensive if the team sucks. But the Maple Leafs are basically as expensive as it can get here. Like, it's basically, like, going to a regular season game would be trying to get, like, Yankees playoff tickets or something. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. like okay. So, New York, I really want to ask about this because I know if you've lived in the area, like, you have to have at least some sort of opinion on it. What are some of your favorite pop culture artifacts that Take place in the New York slash New Jersey area where you grew up because there's lots to choose from, and I'm sure when you grew up in areas close to where things take place, like a Seinfeld, Spider Man, like The Sopranos, what, whatever it may be, like the Curb Enthusiasm. Yeah, how has that like? What is your perception on um, on things that are icons in pop culture that are from the New York New Jersey area?
1: Yeah, I mean like i said i'm from jersey so yeah you got closest with Sopranos. like i i have not watched the sopranos all the way through but it was exciting they would film that near where i grew up in north jersey uh you know the uh i even think they mentioned the town i'm from at one point but so i'm from sopranos country i'm from uh harold and kumar country that takes place in north jersey uh sort of like bridge and tunnel area um so and like kevin smith movies like mall rats like that's what i feel my upbringing represented in that kind of like the station agent uh and that kind of stuff from the burbs more than i do uh new york stuff um yeah i mean so when i watch like the classic new york movies and tv and stuff a lot of it is it's really cool it's educational it's fun to see what new york was like in the 70s or uh, (laughs) i guess to see you know when i watch like succession for instance it's like oh i can see my office like they're in they're in the the you know the area where vox media is located Um, but to see anything that touches on like where i'm where i lived when i was in brooklyn that would be like broad city or high maintenance Uh, i was often around there um but yeah again like i don't claim new york and i and vice versa in a way where i could honestly be like oh yeah that's a true like new york movie or true new york uh tv show because i'm that would be faking it but yeah harold and kumar that's that's my neck of the woods it's
0: it's interesting that some of these movies like because new york the, the whole new york toronto comparison like yeah like man like we were talking before like if anyone tells you that they live in Manhattan or when they say they're from New York, like they're probably lying to you unless they're really rich, but then they probably won't be talking to you. Like, yeah. I guess growing up in Canada, like Winnipeg has had some famous movies filmed there, but not ones that like jump off the page. Like if you're from Vancouver, it's like, Oh, well, you know, Ramble first blood was filmed in hope BC, like close to Vancouver, right? Like, or whatever movies are filmed in Toronto. Like, obviously as you work there and, and, Hang around the area. I'm sure that it's definitely cool to see. But yeah, the ones that would hit home would definitely be from North North Jersey rather than well Manhattan. Like unless you've traveled around there, because like for people from Canada, it's like wow, like you're you know we wouldn't really know the difference unless unless we've been there. But definitely Harold and Kumar like that is a classic one. I think is super iconic. Even Mallrats, one that maybe people wouldn't <laughs> know necessarily as much about the skew universe is a uh, great, great, great series of movies i've seen almost all of them but yeah i'm sure then if you so you you've kicked it at at white castle then is what you're telling me
1: (laughs) not not that particular white castle but i uh the harold and kumar uh, story and experience is certainly familiar to any you know dork who grew up in new jersey that something occurred to me is you know what's i think the best new york show is sesame street really sesame street really like if things that feel like New York feels to me. I mean, part of it is that I, so I, I lived in the city when I was a very little kid and grew up in lived the first few years of my life in the vicinity around the time I was watching Sesame street. Um, but the, yeah, Sesame street, I was trying racking my brain, uh, trying to think of more in New York stuff and Sesame street's like, they, they get it right. That, that sort of feels like a neighborhood in, in Brooklyn, uh, in a way that other shows maybe don't quite as much but you touched on something important which is that like half of the shit that says it takes place in new york was actually filmed in vancouver probably the same thing for <laughs> a bunch of others that
0: don't they film everything in vancouver yeah vancouver has a lot of stuff they filmed there um i got i'm not i can't think of any movies honestly off the top of my head that were right within this city but like i just know rambo is filmed in hope which is like a small rural town on the, the Canada number one highway east of East of Vancouver. Cause that's right in the, in the, in the Valley where you would see that kind of scenery, but mm. there's, I mean, Winnipeg has been compared to like Chicago of Canada. Like they have the, they have a lot of old style buildings from like the forties and thirties that have been preserved. Um, and they've had a lot of like famous people, I guess, come through and they film a few scenes in Winnipeg, but not anything like, oh, like Spider-Man, like you see on TikTok, like, oh, like, mm-hmm. look at this pizza place from Spider-Man, you know, like, this guy was Mr. Z's, or like, you know, this is the apartment where Mr. Dickovich goes, like, <laughs> yeah. ne- never, like, I mean, not like that famous, but I mean, you know, Vancouver, a lot of, again, the lower mainland of BC is so huge, and everyone says, oh, I'm from Vancouver, but they're from like Burnaby. Or they're from right. Port Coquitlam, like they're not actually from the city of Vancouver. Like same thing in Toronto, like they're not from the city of Toronto. They're from Scarborough, or they're from North York, and they and they just—it's too confusing to explain the geography. But with a city exactly. like, like Winnipeg, it's like well, Winnipeg is just one square. Like there's no greater areas and suburban areas that people leak into the city from the to claim their their fame and status. Not that there is any, mm-hmm. okay? mm-hmm. but yeah, like Toronto and Vancouver will be the more similar comparisons to like the Los Angeles, New York of the U S. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. If I'm talking to someone like from another country and they ask where I grew up, I'll just, yeah, near New York. I'm not going <laughs> to, if I'm talking to someone from around here, yeah, I get into like, well, I, you know, North Jersey, like an hour from the city, Morris County, that kind of stuff. But sometimes you just got to be efficient when you're describing your
0: background. I also want to ask you about having worked alongside someone like John Boyce. Cause he, some of the videos he creates are just out of this world with research. And I'm like, man, like if I had time to sit down and make a six part, like mini Netflix documentary about the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars, like he did with the Falcons, like I would probably develop severe depression, like definitely not subjecting myself to the sadness. That is what was the, his- the great history that has now turned to the atrocity. But what has it been like working alongside someone like him or having a at least a a working relationship with a guy that has a great perspective on some of the deepest, deepest corners of sports oddities. Uh, Well,
1: first of all, I want to give Alex Rubenstein his flowers. He helps out with a lot of the stuff John's working on. They make that stuff together, like the Falcons documentary, the Mariners documentary, and Alex's has an unbelievable wealth of information in his head, understands sports and statistics better than anyone I've ever met. And he makes a great compliment to John, who has a very, a a really good theoretical eye. He sees the narrative and stuff. He's extremely funny um, and finds, you know, things that are absurd, but also illuminating in basically any sport, including just the grungiest, grimiest sort of saddest, things in sports john is john is i i think a genius genuinely a genius um one of the cleverest people i have ever met in my entire life um and someone who would instill within me a great deal of professional envy and self-doubt does sometimes frankly but doesn't all the time because he is also one of the nicest people i know just a a, a delightful person to work with a, a, Someone I consider a real true friend who you know cares about the rest of us um, he's incredible he's john is is one of a kind, and i yeah it's extremely exciting to work with him every day and you know we we tend not to be working on the same project, but um when he runs stuff by me, when I get to run stuff by him it's it's always fun he's a good person to talk to about anything um you know he like many of my co-workers i haven't seen in a couple of years because we've sort of just dis- been dispersed in the pandemic and i i miss him dearly he's a great dude um and you know way way more like down to earth and just regular and agreeable than you would expect of someone whose command of their you know material and whose sense of style and presentation is so out of this world he's just a like a decent likable guy uh, which is about the best thing you can be while also being a fucking genius.
0: And, and I'm glad that you did give the nod to Alex as well because you know, his name is on the crowds just equally with much of the great work in terms of producing videos and doing research and helping, like it's not all, you know, a one man band by any means, but definitely a lot of great folks that you're able to work with that uh, at Vox media through SB nation and, even, like, that was my, honestly, that was really my introduction to, like, watching any of the SB Nation and Secret Base videos. It was, like, my brother, he's, like, hey, man, like, he knows that I'm a person that loves, oh, I love obscurities in sports. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. And he was, like, man, like, you're really going to like this video. I was, like, what is it? He's, like, it's called Scorigami. I'm, like, what does that mean? <laughs> he's, like, just, he's like just, just, just trust me, man. Just, just watch it. And I watched it. And after that, like, crushed every pretty good, like, all the chart parties. Started watching Rewinder, Weird Rules. And then I just the addiction started like that to me as a kid, I used to watch sports center, top tens, like, you know, eating cupcakes uh, at a wedding reception as a kid. But now it's like crushing the SB nation and secret based videos is, is a real treat for me. And especially when you get to, when, when there's a video about your team and it hits home, it makes it that much better. Maybe not the collapse of the 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars. That was really hard to watch, even though I knew every single detail, nook and cranny about that video, um, beforehand it's uh not a point of pride but i definitely um the other day actually super 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 really weird story uh, africa combinations is happening right now and mm-hmm. there's a lot of teams that have made it before for the first time mauritania comoros, comoros yeah um i think gambia is one of the other ones um Sierra Leone another first so those are four rookie teams Mm -hmm. and I was trying to look back and find what team is the smallest or is the greatest underdog that has achieved the most now most of the teams that win are usually teams that are very successful like Egypt Ghana Nigeria Mm -hmm. but I found uh an outlier in 1998 in the third place playoff Democratic Republic of Congo beat Burkina Faso and I was like that's really weird and, and the reason why i'm sharing the story is because i think someone like you would have an appreciation for like how random it would be to stumble upon upon this so i go and i click on the, the tournament in 1998 and i scroll down to the game and it says that they whatever that democratic republic of congo won uh 4-1 on penalties after tying 4-4 and i was like 4-4 oh, that's a high scoring game mm. i go and look in the notes and i see burkina Faso was up three nothing until 76 minutes and then Democratic Republic of Congo pulls one back. Oh. Then in, in the 86th, Burkina Faso scores again, 4 1. Game over. Uh, just kidding. In the 88th, 89th, and 90th, DR Congo scores three goals in two minutes, go to penalties and win 4 1. And when I saw oh that, I was God. like, that is something like, uh, it's not LeBron James coming back from 3 1 down. It's not the Red Sox coming back from 3 0, especially since third place, but like, those are the kinds of random stories that you very rarely find without being one of those people that dives headfirst into the dumpster for the obscure, yeah, the ex- obscure thing. It's just like, when I see that shit, it's like, man, that's why I love the videos you guys do. It's just and so many random things. But that,
1: amazing. that feeling is what I, yeah. what I think a lot of us at secret base live for work, <laughs> you know, just that feeling of being like, wait, hold on. Has anyone written about this? Has anyone dug into it? And like, Anytime you get to that, you have to then back up and remember like someone lived through this. There is someone out there who knows everything about this and cares about it and remembers it. And so when you're writing about something, whether it's obscure or just very specific, like I try to write everything where unless it's like about the Knicks and I really feel like I know as well as anyone does about it. I want to make it so that someone who's never even heard of the people involved before feels like they got caught up and can understand it. But I also want to feel like someone who knows it better than I do and always will feels like I, you know, validated, like I did justice to the feelings they felt around that thing. But yeah, I mean, like, like we've gotten at Alex, John, myself, uh, all of us at secret base, I think finding a little loose thread and then just pulling that thread and seeing how far it goes is, you know, you don't get that feeling every day at work, but when you do, you feel really lucky and you have a lot of fun with it. And that's, you know, that's where some of our best work, some of our best ideas have come from. And I think what a lot of us have in common and what we identify with our viewers is that instinct that just like primal urge to see something funny in the data. And just plunge all the way into it and figure out, what the what, you know, what is going on there? What's the story there? What's the actual flesh and blood behind it? Because, yeah, exactly what you're, you're just describing, where you, you know, you just see a little note, you see a score that stands out, and, you know, you start from the place of looking at a big list where everything looks nice and orderly or, you know, a statistical ranking or a team, like here's the roster and there's just something that seems slightly off. Got to go click on that and see what it is. Diving down that rabbit hole only leads to fun, uh, or drama, you know, and tragedy, whatever. But like, there's a lot of interesting stuff that has not been beaten to death on the internet the way a lot of the more famous things have, and that's yeah, that's the most rewarding kind of work to do.
0: I think the way you described it initially about how how sports is just chaos that is tried to be you know simply ruled over is such a beautiful way of encapsulating how some of these stories come to be because. Even for someone like myself, who I, I mean, cheering for the Jaguars is like, I like cheering for teams that are unique and like where it's off the beaten path and people haven't gone there or don't know much about it. And I remember, I don't, what series was this a part of? The one about the Marlins accidentally winning the world series. Was that a rewinder or was that a- That's
1: a uh, collapse. I didn't make that one, but yeah, that's a great- It's it's a collapse. collapse. Okay. Okay.
0: Because I remember when I saw that video, I was like, What? True. My, one of my friends is huge into baseball. He's like, yeah, man, like the Marlins have won the World Series, minus the year of, of COVID, like every time they're in the playoffs. I'm like, how yeah. is that possible? How is a team that <laughs> people always mock to leave the city and they're going to they're gonna leave, man? They're so unpopular. They literally play in a gimmicky park. But how did Dave win the World Series, especially by accident? Like yeah. those are the kinds of things. I like that one, that one to me just shocked the hell out of me. I was so surprised when I saw it.
1: Yeah. That, that episode is awesome. Yeah. I mean, and that's like the 97 Marlins are one of the coolest teams of all time. One of my favorite baseball teams ever. That was at a point in my life where I was much more invested in baseball than I am now. And like, that was amazing. And then, yeah, someone deliberately tore that team apart and then they fucking won the world series again a few years later. Anyway, it's astounding.
0: Or even like the, the, the 2001 Arizona diamondbacks. Like I find it so neat that like, this is the team that stopped the peat of the Yankees, like at the top of their game, like the most powerful they've basically been in franchise history in the modern era. And this random team out of nowhere that has barely existed, just oh shows up and stops it like that. Yeah, I mean, as a Yankees fan, maybe that's not great to relive, but as a, as a general fan of baseball or of chaos and sports, like that's another interesting one.
1: Yes. That was, I mean, you, we talked earlier about my favorite episodes to work on. That was one of my favorite, in, you know, in part, cause that's, that's one of the, I wasn't as much of a Yankees fan then as I am now. So I don't, I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> that is one of the coolest moments in sports history that, wa- I mean, just, you know, the stakes involved. Um, but also like part of the research there was remembering something that was really salient as, you know, someone who grew up in the area, but like, you know, that was the first major sporting event after nine eleven, And I think the, the, uh, you know, emotional fallout of that and all of that was part of it, but also like, you know, part of Rewinder, part of making Rewinders, you go back and you watch the whole game and you, you sit through the commercials, you sit through the announcers, you watch some of the prior games, you really just try and, like, put yourself back in whatever, November 2001. And part of working on that, as is the case with Rewinder, you know, now and then, was, like, remembering American culture and politics and just what TV looked and felt like immediately after 9-11 is fascinating and sort of seeing the beginning of, I think a long era of, you know, sort of jingoist American exceptionalism funneled through, you know, a Fox sports presentation is really interesting. And whenever I'm, you know, go back and relive a game like that. And I pick up on stuff that's like not specific to the game itself, but just sort of culturally part of the milieu at the time. I try to communicate that. Um, in the work itself but that you know it's funny you bring that up that's another one where like it was really a throwback for me and sort of a a re-education of on something that I experienced the first time as a child and now got to relive and re-immerse myself in as an adult with you know several decades of
0: hindsight. There's there's many other teams in sports history depending on how far you expand across the globe that the outliers it just it's really really crazy and I mean in soccer there's several examples in England I've seen or other teams that the they're almost like the little engine that could and even though those stories are few and far in between I still think that there are some of the best ones to cover because how did that happen how did this team go all the way there like for example one of the ones if are you wait are you a soccer fan first I should ask
1: uh very very loosely probably I mean, are you about to talk about Leicester? Like, I know. I
0: know. No, 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 no. Not oh, okay. Leicester. Okay, okay. Because, like, last, yeah, like, any person seen Leicester. Yeah, like
1: okay.
0: <laughs> one that happened just before you were born, I think it's 87, I think it's 88. Mm-hmm. A team that doesn't even exist anymore in their original form won the FA Cup. AFC Wimbledon in 1988 won the FA Cup. I think they beat Arsenal in the final. And mm-hmm. that, still to this day, is probably one of the most modern, like, and modern day, like, considering the context of the history of clubs not like you know Bury winning the fa cup in 1904 when no one was good and everyone was amateur yeah. like wimbledon don't even exist anymore they went bankrupt and they were sold and now the current form they exist in is mk dons who play in league two the fourth mm-hmm. division the fact that afc wimbledon won the fa cup in 88 like before the premier league was because it used to be just english football division one right. before the premier league existed like that is another thing i think deserves a deep dive of, like, how did this team that doesn't even exist anymore, that was, like, the last division, climb all the way to the top and beat Arsenal? That's a
1: that's a, a series theme that we've talked... I, I think we'll do someday. You know, we only have so much capacity, but, like, of course. a series that's... Where each episode focuses on a particular outlier, um, I think would be a lot of fun. There's a number of things. You know, I sort of think of each we all do think of each series as a, a bucket and you try to find the things that fit into that bucket. And when you come up with a story that you really want to tell a person whose career, you want to describe a game that was really cool, a season, whatever. And you're like, ah, this doesn't really fit into any of our series. And it's like, well, hmm, it might be time for a new bucket. And that's one of those things where like, I mean, there there is a number of statistical and season outliers that are like really where you know whether it's from a statsy perspective like Alex and John might do or trying to you know make it a little more uh, looking at game footage narrative based whatever however you wanted to approach it um, i think that is a a series we ought to do someday and probably will
0: yeah because what are what are some of the other ones that stick out in mind to you from at least north american pro sports of extreme outliers, maybe besides like the Marlins and the Diamondbacks that we've touched on. Yeah.
1: Something I've always wanted to write about that's, you know, not the most exciting or monumental example of this. Um, Derek Williams. You remember Derek Williams went to Arizona, uh, probably drafted, yeah, early 2010s. Derek Williams was the, what, second or third pick in the NBA draft because he shot the fucking lights out in college. You know, he was this really big athletic forward who shot like 40-something percent from three in college and is not – he's still, in, you know, an active basketball player. He's not in the NBA, but hes he might be playing in Europe right now. Point is, Derek Williams is a bad shooter. Was before, has been since. He is a bad outside shooter, but he had this one statistical outlier season in college at the absolute perfect time, you know, when people are like – can this guy go shoot in the NBA? And there are probably better examples of that. Justice Winslow is probably another one, but you know, you take maybe 70 or 80 three pointers in college and you just happen to kind of get lucky and hit 35 of them. And suddenly you're a lottery pick where you weren't going to be before. And I think that that particular season, but that generally as a phenomenon is something I'd love to write about. And it's like been stuck in the back of my head for a really long time
0: that reminds me of like the, the video that John did about, uh, was it who was, who is it? Troy and, the uh, Vance. Oh, what's the, what was it?
1: Yeah. Um, oh, oh, the, um, the like really high scoring game. Yeah. i can remember the teams. Yeah. The, the high school team. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Troy and someone else, was, some, yeah. some
0: Vander, not Vanderbilts, but some, some really weird techie school and seeing that I was yeah. like, that sound that sounds like if a grade seven basketball game went way better than expected in terms of just <laughs> rifling the ball at the bas- backboard and actually goes in more. Yeah. Oh, geez. I'm just trying to think of other other outliers in terms of like maybe championships. I know people say the Jaguars in 2017 were an outlier, but well definitely were in the last decade. But um uh, Alex has
1: pointed out a really good one that there's a year where It might have been the Raptors. It was either the Raptors or the Kings. Um, I think it's the Kings. I think it's the Sacramento Kings. In the late 90s, they had a season where they won, like, whatever. I'm going to mess this up, so someone should look this up afterward. Uh, An NBA team that won 20-something games in the season, during that season, they had a streak of either two or three straight games in a row that they won by, like, 20 or 30 points. Um, and I may be conflating two things. I think the things that I'm conflating, the Kings, I think, did what I just described. But the Raptors thing I'm thinking of is that the 96 Bulls or the 97, one of the really great Bulls team. The 96 lost, Bulls, Raptors Lost to the Raptors, in yeah.
0: In Toronto, uh, yeah.
1: So that kind of stuff is fun, too, because I think you can obviously look at it from a statistical perspective, like how unlikely is this? What had to happen for this to transpire? But it's also fun to go back and read the paper from, you know, the day before and the day after and just like see what people were saying at the time. Um, Because it's, you know, a lot of those things. If it's a team that wins a championship that wasn't expected to, that becomes history. But other times it becomes a footnote to history of like this Bulls team was the greatest ever. And, you know, they lost this one weird game and that's it if there's something where it's like a footnote and that's all anyone ever, you know, that's the depth at which people, people usually investigate it. That's where we're like, all right, let's rip this whole thing wide open and like find everything there is to find about this particular story. Um, but yes, I think the, it's, the Kings had a really good, unbelievable streak during an otherwise terrible season and the Raptors beat the bulls when the bulls were at their very best.
0: I think, I feel like I heard another one about like, you know, or people talk about oh, teams that, Um, maybe that maybe it was the Kings as well, or the Timberwolves or something one season where a team won one road game or something like the whole year or like less or five Mm -hmm. games. And I think the wizards, one of those three teams went like less than five wins on the road in the entire year. And then the Celtics in the eighties did the opposite where they didn't, didn't lose a home game or they lost one home game or something like that. And then the rest of the games they lost on the road, but I don't know. There's always those, the NBA has a lot of, has the propensity for those things to happen because of like the nature of a long season and hockey, not as much because like in basketball, you'll usually see like 60 win teams, right? In hockey, like you'll never see a 60 win team. That's basically impossible. We also never really see a team less than 10 wins. That's also very, very impossible or like less than 15, maybe in the like during the lock post lockout in 2016, 17 Colorado won nine games or something. But that was like, 66 games like, like that the is like,
1: i think it's i think it's sort of like a i think it's a, a matter of scoring and sample size like there is so much basketball in a basketball game and if you know both of the teams are gonna put up dozens and dozens and dozens of shots then the law of averages will sort of take over Um, but if, if, yeah, and I I mean, I'm, you understand this. I don't need to explain it to you, but like in a sport like baseball or hockey, where like, even the best hitters will only succeed a third of the time, you know, even the best teams will have games there where they only get one or two runs. Uh, yeah, there's just like, there's more room for randomness, and that you know that's that's part of why baseball is like statistically the most exciting and interesting sport, and why basketball tends to be a little more like the best teams actually win, there's a little less room for chaos. Um, but yeah, I mean, that sort of gets back to weird rules where like, you know, you have these things that are by nature. Um, sort of fluid and chaotic and then you apply strictures to them like okay we're only going to measure basketball success in 48 minute samples that's going to create that's going to you know create results that don't don't necessarily match what ought to be the case and you know the more that uh, things are rigid the more that um, the sample sizes are small like in baseball uh, the more you get some really weird shit happening and Um, there's an old XKCD comic about how sports fans are basically just like, what did the random number generator, you know, shoot out today? All right, let's apply narratives to that and react to it. And, you know, I think that's meant to make fun of sports, but I think that's a lot of fun. I think it's really fun when there's a random number generator and it, you know, farts out something exotic. And then you just get really excited about that. I think, (laughs) I think that's cool. And that's part of what I love.
0: One of the other things that that made me think of was, how in baseball and hockey teams have come back from three zero down but basketball still to this day, no team has come back from three zero down. And the two closest teams were the, the Houston Rockets when they hit the shot, or I mean, would have been close. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was, I think it was the Knicks or maybe it was the Knicks. I think it was like the 70, 72 or something like that sometime in the early seventies, the Knicks were down three nil in the finals and they came back. And I think they lost in game seven or something like that. It was a Knicks team or the Lakers, one of those two teams, but I feel like it was New York. And that was the closest that any team has ever gotten to coming back from three zero down. Like those are the kinds of things that make basketball exciting for fans and teams that are good but also make it a bit dreadful for teams that aren't good or eight seed. Like, do you think in our lifetime, we'll ever see an eight seeded team win the finals? Like, or a team come back from three. We'll probably see a team come back from three zero down before the eight seed finals. But like, I don't know if we'll ever see a team win the finals as an eight seed. I think it'll
1: take something. If it happens, it'll be, because a the the season is weird you know there was a shortened season because you know it used to be that only lockouts could shorten season but apparently pandemics can do that too Uh, and you can end up with weird playoffs or like i said a team can sort of eat shit all year the way the 99 Knicks did but if if it's because of injuries and if guys get healthy at the right time like you can really not be yourself until the playoffs come around. It has to be the perfect you know confluence of events, but like we're getting out basketball because it's such large samples because the season is eighty two games because you have to win the best of seven games to win a series you know it's not uh, it's not winner go home it's not a a single elimination like there's just less opportunity for something really weird to happen. the best team usually wins but I don't know. It could happen, but it would take something sort of unanticipated for that to be the case because the, the NBA, it's just, it's built to actually figure out who the best team is and injuries and randomness always play a part, but like things tend to even out in a way they might not in other sports.
0: And the same thing with like how UMBC being the first 16th, 16th seed team to beat a first seed. How many years did that take in it? And that's one and done. Like, Right. Like if that was the NBA, like Golden State beat Dallas in whatever oh, oh, 07. 07, and that was like extremely shocking. But that was just the mm-hmm. first round. And then Golden State got kicked to the curb the next round. Like mm-hmm. so that's that's why like when the UMBC thing happened, I was like, whoa! Like a sixteenth seed versus a one seed winning like in college is a blow or. Is a blowout or a close game, like it's very hard for those teams that are very small to win. But I guess never say never. It's happened one out of every whatever hundred something times. <laughs> yeah. So may, maybe if it happens a second time or whatever, then John can make a video about it because I'm sure <laughs> that he would love to dive into that. Considering um, when you look at the video from his pretty good series, no, like the likelihood of all those events happening again is just like one in a billion or something. So Mm -hmm. 16C knocks off a one seed again, then maybe we'll see a video. Probably. (laughs) So Seth, we are getting towards the end of our time in today's episode. So I want to ask a few more wrap up questions, quick fire and have a little bit more fun before we part for today. Sure. Who is your favorite childhood sports hero? Kurt Thomas. Really? Oh
1: yeah. I love Kurt Thomas. (laughs)
0: Kurt Thomas is a legend, man. Like he played like forever and ever and ever. And there's there's a, g- a guy that uh, my brother played with in Winnipeg who played like he started playing university when he was like in his late 20s, early 30s. And my brother's like, this guy's w- the Winnipeg version of Kurt Thomas. And I love mm-hmm. how it's like you have to know like basketball to know who Kurt Thomas is. But it's, it's
1: yeah, I mean the, the Knicks were not reliable after a certain point in my childhood, but Kurt Thomas was always reliable. Just picking and popping from 18 feet. Uh, and yeah, just one, probably my favorite Nick of all time.
0: If there, if there was one NBA finals that didn't involve the Knicks that you think should have went the other way, which one is it and why
1: should have, or I wish did go the other way.
0: Uh, honestly, either, or like, <laughs> cause I don't know if there's any that you could argue should have, but if there is, then yeah, I'd like to hear it or. If you wish it would have went the other way, then that's also good too.
1: I definitely wish that LeBron won a championship, his first stint in Cleveland. I I mean, they didn't come close, but I wish the 07 Cavs pulled that off. They didn't come close to pulling it off, but I wish they did. Um, I wanted that badly at the time. Uh, A Finals that should have gone the other way. I mean, like the Celtics really shouldn't have won it all in 08. uh, And... I mean, the, and i and i wish they didn't because I, I still have to hear about that shit
0: um, i don't i, I didn't I, want them to win either but like what yeah. what what's i mean i was only in sixth grade at the time so here i was i wanted the lakers to win and they didn't i was like what's going on but like what why do you think they they shouldn't have just because of the lakers blowing it in the one game
1: yeah i you know I kind of think that the Celtics – this is not an informed opinion. This is just me being an asshole. But, like, I kind of think the Celtics shouldn't have won in 08 because the Lakers were better. And I kind of think the Magic should have won in 09 against the Lakers. Um, But I could not possibly defend either of those things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, maybe less so the Magic, like losing 4-1. But, like, I mean – and then people talk about all oh, the broids and whatever, like after the fact, but I mean, Orlando, another outlier yeah. of teams that made the finals. Like how did Orlando make it that one year next year, they're loose to the Celtics conference finals. And then we never hear of them again. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, the, uh, I also think it would have been very cool. Had the Thunder won a championship against the heat uh, when they made it but they
0: were pretty overmatched. True. And people always say, well, they how did they not win a finals with those three guys? It's like, well, Westbrook just got traded to Lakers and everyone is freaking out. And now like they see what happens when you try to, you know, everyone trips over themselves and you put too many stars on the same team that, yeah. And I
1: mean, they they didn't really get many opportunities to give it a, the fact that they made it all the way to the finals before those guys split up is pretty incredible. They didn't have a very long window there before, you know, they weren't going to be able to afford that team anymore.
0: What has been your or three favorite videos, no particular order that you've worked on personally for ESPN nation slash Secret base. Mm. Uh,
1: well, I won't cheat by just naming the suit, but uh, I, I will definitely devote the number one spot to the gigantic Cavaliers mini series we made last year, which is called chosen about the entire history of the cabs up until, uh, their 2016 championship. Um, I think that the Knicks collapse video that I made while obviously reliving the pain of my childhood was, it it was, it was fun. It it genuinely was, it was, it was uh, exciting to write about something I knew really well. Um, Also exciting, as I've described to sort of, we remember things and find some details that I hadn't known at the time when I was, you know, watching that happen in real time uh i mean honestly and that that space jam rewind is like because i didn't know i was gonna be able to pull that one off it was sort of a a tough a a tough sell for uh you know my boss and stuff but it, it turned out really well i would definitely basketball things um and i'll throw in one more i mean you said three i but because i repeated myself Um, We did an episode of Untitled, which is, I think, one of the most fun research series to do, you know, examining why certain players never won a title um, and sort of putting that in context and explaining it. And I did an episode about Marta, the Brazilian footballer Mm -hmm. that, you know, I really knew nothing about her besides having watched her in the World Cup here and there. Um, but digging into her story and really like understanding the history of Brazilian soccer in a way that I had not at all beforehand um, was, was very rewarding. And it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an upsetting thing to read about.
0: Um, it's very heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. But th- that got a really good response. And, you know, when you can do something like that, that doesn't maybe touch on the usual topics you write about the usual audience, you tend to find um, that is very rewarding. And I thought, you know, that was a difficult subject to write about. And I really tried to put a lot of consideration into getting it right. And based on the response I got, I felt like I at least did some justice to something that I think hasn't been covered to the extent it should be.
0: That's, that one I found to be one of the, the most unique ones because it hits home. Growing up as a kid, half my family's from Brazil. I remember staying up or and waking up early in the morning to watch Brazil versus Germany in the 07 Women's World Cup final. And when they lost 2-0 and just seeing how crushed Marta was, and then the loss to the U.S., it just – the next tournament was even worse. And it's just so sad because, like, she's one of the greatest, you know, soccer players in international women's history and the greatest in Brazilian history. And the fact that she'll probably go her entire career without getting a World Cup is just like – It sucks because in men's, you know, like there's more diversity of teams that win because obviously it's been more established for many more years. But like in women's, it's like, well, if you didn't get lucky once against America, then too bad. So sad. Like they, they run the show and then maybe you get like Canada getting the Olympic gold was amazing. Like everyone here was going nuts. But again, that like Christine Sinclair, like if she didn't win this last summer in Tokyo, like probably could could go hand in hand with that video, uh, like alongside Marta.
1: And so many of these things, you know, part of untitled, part of collapse is especially in sports that don't have a salary cap or international sports. So much of it is just investment. It's just how much did someone bother to make sure this team was good. Um, and for, you know, Brazilian women's football, the investment has never matched that of the men's team. Like when you were younger than you were watching the 07 team, Like, if you had wanted to watch prior Brazil Women's World Cups, you mostly could not have because they didn't even bother putting the games on TV. They They weren't interested in, you know, building up support for that team, even though it was a contender, even though it was incredibly good. And that's, it sucks. It sucks to look into, you know, one of the greatest athletes in the history of sports, but not give the boost that every athlete ever has needed to become a champion, which is just investment and care.
0: And it seems like now that the investment has increased, it's almost like too little, too late on behalf of her ability to succeed because you see like the other half of my family's from Portugal and it's like, they're amazing in men's soccer, a country of 10 million people. Like basically all of New York city is one of the best in the world Mm -hmm. for men, but then for women, like they're atrocious, but now Mm -hmm. they've started to really pick it up because they've, They've, you know, acknowledged its importance and same thing with Brazil, but it's like, for the sake of Marta, like you're going to look back and she's probably going to look back. And when Brazil wins, it's like, damn, like why didn't I have this right? Like, or I could have been a part of this if we would have done X, Y, Z 10 years earlier, like being from Winnipeg, the Winnipeg blue bombers in the CFL is nine team league. Like you'd think it's so easy to win. Like there's only eight other teams you have to play against, but you'd be mistaken. The, The bombers, they had a, Near 30 year drought, winning a championship, and one of the greatest players ever in the league's history the greatest receiver ever, Milt Steagle went to the great cup twice and lost both times, and even came and even shrugged off retirement the second time to finally get a chance to win. Didn't, and then guess what happens? He's been working with the panel covering CFL games on TV for TSN with like our version of uh, ESPN mm-hmm. ever since. And the Bombers just went and won back-to-back great cups. And here he is sitting like, wow, like maybe if the GM wasn't a fucking idiot or or maybe if, you know, during the the, the latter half of his years, or maybe if a few lucky bounces would have went our way in the in their earlier years, I'd have at least one great cup and he has zero. And yeah. yeah, obviously, if you're an amazing athlete, like it's not like your life is treachery and misery, but like t- to capture that final moment is – what you really long for. And if you don't get to do it, or like the Charles Barkley untitled, like it just sucks.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's why untitled exists. You know, As someone's got to get the short end of the stick. Someone's going to get it 15 times in a row or whatever. Uh, but there's, there's a reason and it's never just like, Oh, he's, you know, wasn't clutch. And all of our series, we try to open stuff up and explain stuff and fully understand it. And that's one of those where like, you know, things tend to get flattened history and personas tend to get flattened or tokenized. And we we just try to, you know, work against that.
0: My final question for you, Seth, is if there was one project where you had the chance to talk to every player, coach, fans, executives, whatever involved, money's not an issue. Like Vox, like pulls out the Rolodex of of the, the reserve funds to give you everything you need to really understand every angle of a story. And, and this includes going back to the past, bringing back anyone who's passed away and create whatever video for whatever series you like, what would that moment be or who would that player be that you would sit down and chat with?
1: Oh man! See, I was starting to formulate an answer, but then you started adding like dead people in history and stuff, and now yeah, maybe, we can <laughs> maybe we could keep it to alive
0: people. Maybe we could keep it to people who are alive, just as easier on your brain to, to process. Well, all right. Let me.
1: I mean, I would l- really love to like fully. Di- I, it's been done before, but the you know the '73 Knicks, like the the team that won two championships in the late '60s, early '70s. Um, you know, Dave DeBuscher is not alive. Red Halsman obviously isn't alive. Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, Bill Bradley all are, but like, I I would love to really understand that in a way. And like, again, that's had books written about it. So it's not a good answer. I I would want to give you an answer where like, I don't feel like there's a definitive take on the subject. The answer that came to mind off the bat, and it's one where everyone's alive, but I think for because of recency, for political reasons, um, we don't really fully understand it is I I wanna really tell the entire story of Yao Ming. Um, I think, you know, how Yao Ming came to be, how he, you know, his path to the NBA, his upbringing, and then how good he was, how unbelievably promising he was and exciting to watch and then the reasons his career ended, I think you know again, there, there's books about that, um, but I don't know that we fully get it yet. And I don't think people who don't remember Yao Ming fully get how unbelievably captivating he was, and yeah, if I could have unlimited resources to travel and you know translate and get around political barriers and you know, have people sort of let their guard down and speak to me. I think getting to the bottom of the Yao Ming story and that that's just always something I've been interested in. And I don't think if you gave me a 24 hours to think about it, that would be my answer, but that was the first thing that came to mind.
0: Honestly, I don't even think that's like after 24 hours, I don't know how many more stories you could really dive deeper to that. Like Yao Ming was, was at the forefront of the NBA for quite some time for Mm -hmm like the first great player from China. Like I remember even watching videos about him first being in the NBA on Houston, when they had the old like snickering looking rocket ship as their mm-hmm. logo. And like when he dominated Shaq and everyone was like, whoa, like this is real. Like this is not a joke. Yeah. And, how sudden it seemed as career ended like injuries. And then obviously like, you know, the political barriers and the, the mystery of the political barriers as well. Right. Like who knows why, how, like who, who really knows is what I mean. Like, it's like, obviously you can be told the whatever story, but like it's, um, it's definitely one that's super fascinating. I'm actually, I actually didn't even expect that at all, but I'm glad that you did mention that because growing up as a kid, it's like, Oh Yao Ming is like one of the tallest players ever, but it's like a guy from China being one of the tallest players ever, like a country that doesn't, doesn't traditionally produce people that are like over seven feet, right? Like that would be like of a seven footer came out of Portugal. It's like that would never, ever happen. Like that's a, that's a, that's an outlier right there. Talk about outliers and like you're analyzing the data. Like Yao Ming is like top of the list outlier when it comes to NBA, but maybe someday um it's, it'll be possible. And maybe, you know, in your lifetime, you might get the opportunity to to tell the story. And I think that'll be really cool and to, to yeah. actually get to dive into
1: Yao, if you're watching or listening, which I'm sure you are, give me a call.
0: Seth, I really want to thank you for having been on today's episode. And I want to acknowledge you for all the great work you've put in with SB Nation and Seeker Base. For all those out there, whether it be my friends, family, whether it be people on YouTube who enjoy the content that you and the rest of the team do, it is needed in this world. And I greatly appreciate the fact that You stumbled upon this opportunity to make videos for them because I think it makes the lives of sports fans that much more enriched. So I want to let you know that as we part for today's episode.
1: I I deeply appreciate that. That is precisely the goal is to enrich the lives of sports fans. I'm not putting food on anyone's table. I might as well make them, uh, you know, enjoy the things they enjoy more and more deeply. So I I really appreciate that. And I I had a lot of fun talking to you. And
0: Thank you very much for having me. And thank you to the listener for enjoying today's episode with SB Nation and Secret Base video producer, Seth Rosenthal. First and goal from the one. This is it. Stegall.
1: Touchdown. Matt Stegall. Touchdown, Regal. 138. He's
0: the all-time Canadian Football League. Touchdown, king. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matthias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore mb. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.